This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for Wednesday, May 24th. Here's the weather forecast for today. Looks like you're going to have a cloudy day, maybe some showers this morning, a high of 17 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, Canadians digest David Johnston's inquiry into election interference. Number two, Canada Day celebrations are cancelled in Nathan Phillips Square. Number three, Toronto mayoral candidates will clash in three debates today. Number four, Canadian household debt soars. And number five, the Blue Jays win in a blowout. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. On a Wednesday morning, it's the actual May 2-4. As a matter of fact, it's May 24. 15 degrees outside, so not a bad start to the day. Also not a bad start to uh, commemorate the fact that the Blue Jays broke their losing streak in a game that Rob Langley, in his account, says was borderline silly. 20-1 to 1 over Tampa Bay Rays. And uh, I'll leave all the special analysis to a specialist like Rob Langley or Longley. I'm a big fan of sports writers. I mean, sometimes I can read their stuff and I think, I have no idea what you're talking about. But other times there's just people who write about something that they are supremely passionate about often have a certain poetry to their prose. And so this column in particular, I would uh, commend to you today. Sometimes think... I should get into, I am a big admirer of a guy who does radio in the States. His name is uh, Smirkanish. And every day he selects like 10 articles, columns, opinion pieces that he thinks are particularly informative. And, but as if I need more work before we go on the air. I mean, the thing is he goes on the air, I think at nine, I go on the air at five. So to be able to do that for you might be tough, but um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll find a way. Right now, what we do is when I see something I really like, I'll, you know, share it on on Twitter, and hopefully there's not a paywall. Um, so anyway, all I can say is I think his column today describing that blowout game last night is, uh, is ace. All right, so uh, David Johnston will probably spend a considerable amount of time on that today. As you know, he has recommended that there not be a public inquiry, but he does want to go through some sort of a kabuki show in order to continue to investigate it. Uh, Johnston, yesterday, there's a whole bunch of clips here, Mr. Catherwood. But, Special um, rapporteur. Yes. I'm sorry, it is impossible. I think that rapporteur should be spelled in italics whenever it is spelled out because it is a, it's a ridiculous word. I'm going to be playing that a lot today because I feel like we're not going to be able to play it a lot going forward. So uh-huh. you're going okay. to hear a lot of special rapporteur. That's fine. As a drop. Special rapporteur. <laughs> and of course, because Justin Trudeau has this uh, vague French accent, it even sounds more pretentious. Special rapporteur. Thank you. Uh, listen, let's listen in on, uh, start with clip 20. I mean, effectively, David Johnston said he had five conclusions to the report. So let's start with the first. Based on my review, I have reached five clear conclusions. First, 
Foreign governments are undoubtedly attempting to influence candidates and voters in Canada. Foreign interference is a real and growing threat, and more remains to be done promptly to strengthen our capacity to detect, deter, and counter foreign interference in elections. Thing is, foreign interference ain't new. I mean, the Irish were interfering with our processes, particularly here in the city of Toronto in municipal elections, and even the composition of our police and fire department um, in the 1850s and 60s. So there is nothing new in foreign governments. Uh, you know, Russia, the Soviet Union was, uh, was up to it. The Americans are up to it. The velocity of it or the intensity of it is very different now because of the ability of somebody sitting in a basement apartment in Moscow being able to hit a button and then start screwing with your Facebook feed in Toronto or anywhere else in Canada. Uh, David Johnston's report effectively, and here's, you know, let's set the table here. Either you buy that David Johnston is an honest broker or you don't. And if you don't buy that he's an honest broker, then this whole thing is a whitewash by Justin Trudeau's cottage buddy, as the leader of the opposition likes to say. And yeah, I would admit that the relationship between David Johnston, in particular having worked at the Trudeau Foundation, which actually has no relationship to Justin Trudeau, aside from the fact that it was formed in tribute to his father, um, it's, it's beyond problematic. It is disqualifying. So I would say let's, David Johnston's word or words or phrase to describe what a public inquiry would be, he said it'd be window dressing. Fine, bring it on. We all have window dressing. I got window dressing in the studio right now. We have a screen that I will lower later when the sun comes up and it's too bright to see my screens. So let's do it. What it re will reveal is probably very little. The Chinese tried to interfere with the election, but according to David Johnston, he can find no proof that it actually had any impact. So, you know, it's, um, it was an effort at trying to put their fingers on the scale, didn't work, did not get anybody elected who would do anything favorable toward China. As we've talked about on the show on many occasions, not a single vote in Canada's parliament has gone China's way. So if they did, if they spent money, it was not well spent. Um, but you know what? Bring on the inquiry because there is a cohort of people who simply do not buy David Johnston's integrity. I can tell you from, you know, some degree of personal knowledge. David Johnston is probably one of the most principled people in Canada. However, his relationship to Justin Trudeau, like I said, is disqualifying. But if you look at this report, again, like I said, you can either buy what's in the report or you can just say the whole thing is a great big whitewash. But what David Johnston actually discovered is something a lot of people have been talking about which is the leaks from CSIS are unverifiable. They probably come from a very low-ranking and possibly uh, agenda-driven person. And here's the, the major aspect in all of this. Only one news outlet was able to report on this based on the sources that they had at CSIS. And then in journalism, there is a practice called matching 
where everybody else who also has sources within government or an organization or a corporation tries to verify the story. Nobody's been able to verify the story. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. So we'll uh, definitely be discussing David Johnston and uh, his investigation. And as a matter of fact, uh, one of the principal actors in this whole process is going to be live and in studio, I might add, with Jerry Agar this morning at 1130. And that would be the opposition leader, Pierre Polyev, the guy most people think is the next prime minister of Canada. So that should be an interesting discussion. Here he is yesterday writing off the Johnston investigation um, as, you know, hey, Johnston's a friend of Justin's, so what was he ever going to find anyway? We see today that his ski buddy, cottage neighbor, family friend, and member of the Beijing-financed Trudeau Foundation came out and did exactly what I predicted, help Trudeau cover up uh, the influence by Beijing in our democracy. We know that Beijing interfered in two elections to help Trudeau win. We know that Beijing gave $140,000 to the Trudeau Foundation with the express purpose of buying the love and the loyalty of Justin Trudeau. And how has that expressed itself? In Trudeau upbraiding Xi Jinping at, at a recent meeting where he scolded him for trying to interfere with Canadian elections? Looking forward to hearing more, because in long form, you can come out and have your talking points, but in a long form conversation with Jerry Agar, it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say. And in particular on this point, Justin Trudeau has offered full security clearance to the opposition party leaders so that they can look at the documents that David Johnston saw. And uh, Jagmeet Singh and Monsieur Blanchette of the Bloc Québécois have accepted and so they will go through those documents, but Pierre Polyev has refused. And I cannot, frankly, understand the reasoning. I know he's got a great talking points, like I'm not going to help with the cover-up. I'm sorry, if there are documents that establish what actually happened, why would you refuse to look at them? But again, you know, Pierre Polyev does have a long game, and it's working for him, I think. He's, he and his party are now poised to probably form a minority government if an election were held tomorrow. But it's kind of like what I used to say about Doug Ford. And Doug Ford became the premier that I kind of aspired for him to be before he was elected the first time. It took him a while, and then we got to Doug Ford 2.0. All I want is a government that's competent, that can manage money, that has some ideas, that is prepared for the future, that is not ideologically guided. And so if Pierre Polyev just said, you know what, um, I'm going to run the place, I'm going to save you some money, and we're going to kind of shake things up and um, dump a lot of the preoccupations of the current government. If he said that, I'd be in. But he keeps on going on about gatekeepers and this sort of Ron DeSantis-inspired nonsense. And it just, it's not what I'm looking for, but we'll see. He can probably, he's got plenty of time. We're not going to an election this year. Is I know that a lot of our pundits have said, that's it, Justin Trudeau's done. He's going to retire. Somebody else is going to take over. They're going to declare a snap election. I just don't see it happening. For one thing, Justin Trudeau's a fairly 
uh, vain, headstrong individual. So why wouldn't he want to take another run? Because he presumes that he can win. Uh, speaking of competitions, things got interesting yesterday in the province of Ontario, politically anyway. Um, Doug Ford saying that he's ready for Bonnie Crombie, as he said, uh, bring it on, bring it on. And it was funny because I was sitting yesterday in one of my regular restaurants up uh, in the Young and St. Clair neighborhood. And I look up and Bonnie Crombie is climbing into an SUV. And as it turns out, she had done 23 interviews yesterday morning, including right here live in studio. And she decided she just needed to clear her head and get out of the actual core of the city. So she uh, sprinted up to the Young and St. Clair neighborhood for a lunch. I will confess, because <laughs> it's my other regular across the street, I went in and asked the maitre d' who she was having lunch with, but I, that, you know, satisfied some personal curiosity, but I'll, I'll respect the privacy of those individuals. They don't need me raiding their lunches. So Doug Ford says he's ready for Bonnie Crombie. Uh, I was mentioning the cancellation. Uh, this, this is an interesting story because I think there's some game here. Cancellation of the observation or celebration of Canada Day in Nathan Phillips Square. And it's being done, they say, for budgetary reasons. But I have a feeling this is one of those situations where, like, mom says, no more ice cream un until you kids, you know, start doing some heavy lifting around the house. Um, I, and, and we're going to talk to Gary Crawford, the budget chief, a little later on in the show, who incidentally is about to quit as a city councilor and budget chief, according to reports from Sabrina Nanji, in order to run for Queen's Park. So we'll have to ask him about that as well. Um, but the city is now urging Torontonians to start writing to their MPs to convince Ottawa to send more money to the city of Toronto. This is a game. This is, and it's a tedious game. Okay, you know, Toronto, come up with a means of funding things, either road tolls or let's go back to the land, the um, uh, car, the vehicle tax, um, you know, a sales tax, something like that. Um, the idea of canceling Canada Day celebrations, which is very how the Grinch stole Christmas, except it's how the Grinch stole Canada Day, is, strikes me as a ploy. And... At the end of the day as well, I'd offer, you know, I don't know about you and you can always text me, although I'm sure my text board is just full of people who say that I'm doing all the heavy lifting for Justin Trudeau. Um, you can text me about this one at 71010. How many people go to Nathan Phillips Square on Canada Day anyway? For me, Canada Day has always been about, you know, my backyard and then trying to calm down the dog at 10 o'clock when the fireworks go off. But we have the fireworks show. It's going to be all along the waterfront. You can go to Ashbridge's Bay. I, I don't know necessarily that it's a vital, vital celebration to listen to the mayor prattling about Canada's glorious history at Nathan Phillips Square. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. I'd be curious to know if anybody's mind has ever been all that changed by a leader's debate. Now, it's one thing when you have, you know, one national English language, one national French language debate, because, you know, it's 90 minutes, it's compressed, 
everybody comes to play and you get a bit of an impression of the personalities and direction of the individuals in question. But when it comes to a mayor's debate and you have 102 candidates, six to eight of whom are going to be speaking and you're doing so many of them that you can't even keep track, I'm not sure how influential that is. I was very honest with you, the very first debate the other night, I, I didn't watch. I forget what was going on. I think there was a Jays game. Um, and so I, I thought I'll, I'll probably watch one or two debates as this goes on, but I'm not an oblate nun. You know, I'm not going to watch every single one of them on your behalf, to be perfectly frank. And I also find them not particularly helpful. I always remember back forget which election cycle it was, but I think it was, yeah, Rob Ford was running for the first time. And there were debates almost every single day. And I chaired one of them at an Italian cultural center. And there were probably 50 bored looking people taking it in. And several candidates didn't even show up. And I just thought this is the, the only thing that happened that day that impressed me was that was the day that I decided that Rob Ford was going to win. Because Rob Ford had this thing that he would do. I guess some people would call it a party trick. He had a whole bunch of briefing notes, sheet by sheet, that were in a plastic sheet, and he would just pull one of them out at every debate. And they were all things that really just nailed the fact that the city of Toronto was inefficiently run and that we spend money on stupid things. And that was the day that he pulled out a plastic sheet from a folder and said, did you know we spend $50,000 a year watering plants at City Hall? And, you know, in the end, it actually kind of makes sense that somebody's got to be paid to water the freaking plants at City Hall if you want plants at City Hall. I mean, I guess you could order all of the office keepers to do their own plant watering. Um, and $50,000 in a city with billions and billions in budget doesn't really amount to much. But it was perfect. Of course, somebody hears $50,000 watering plants. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, and then, you know, another one that I saw one other day was about what we spend on trying to save trees in the city of Toronto. And again, you got to save the trees because otherwise you have to replace the trees and they're going to fall on electric lines and, you know, other stuff. But it's still, it was, it was flawless. And that's why Rob Ford won. But, uh, you know, 50 desultory people slouched in chairs in the basement of an Italian cultural center, I don't think was really moving the needle in the mayor's debate. Uh, but we'll talk more about this when we hook up with our friends at CP24 in just a couple of moments. Uh, I was actually having lunch with one of the candidates yesterday. And, you know, he was talking about the pressure of preparing for three debates in one day. Um, two of them are a half hour apart. I don't know. It's going to be like this scramble. It's going to be like the Italian job. They're all going to jump into minis and sprint off to the next debate. So David Johnston yesterday saying he doesn't think there should be a public inquiry. I think that's the wrong choice because, you know, just, just clear the air. Get this stuff all out in the open. But also, I, I defy anybody to say exactly what is at the core of this scandal. Okay, so the Chinese are meddling. Chinese are meddling all over the world. Did it actually result in anything? Did they expose any absolute weaknesses in the Canadian, either our voting system or in our 
uh, security system? Or is this just a convenient means of people hating the people they already wanted to hate? Uh, but Johnston was uh, a little, what, um, irked at the fact that people have questioned his objectivity. The third fact is this. <clears throat> um, I've been fortunate in my public life to have served as chair of or member of advisory committee or task forces on probably two to three dozen different occasions over those years with appointments by prime ministers, several, premiers, several, ministers, and on none of those previous occasions has my impartiality or integrity ever been questioned. This is the first time it has happened. And let me simply say that's very troubling for me because this kind of baseless set of accusations diminishes trust in our public institutions and deters people who are publicly minded who are quite prepared to take on public service responsibility task forces and so on. There's a chill on that, and that's very troubling. In other government business yesterday, which they must have been very happy to do, um, the transportation minister was, I think, at Pearson. And actually, I, may, I guess he was flying because he's based in Ottawa, so it was legit. It wasn't just him putting on a little silly show of going through security. But Omar Agabro was announcing that they're going to speed things up for people going through security. This includes being able to keep laptops, large electronics, and compliant liquids and gels in their carry-on. Verified travelers will also be able to keep their shoes, belt, and light jacket on as they go through the checkpoint and screening lines dedicated to verified travelers will be available at select airports across the country. All right, here's why this is absolute nonsense. Verified travelers are people who are pre-cleared in the States and Canadians who hold Nexus cards. They already enjoy very special privileges. I have a Nexus card. I get, I jumped at one point when the airport was in an absolute crisis, I jumped a line that was probably 1,500 people long because I had a Nexus card. These people are already spoiled rotten. Half the time we don't have to take our shoes off. Uh, it's So this is privilege for people who already enjoy privilege. And whenever I talk about the joys of a Nexus card, because it even works domestically. Like going to the States now, it's nuts. I was... Um, walking past this screening machine and I hadn't even stopped yet and boom it says welcome John Sanford Moore and now the way it works is it communicates directly with the officer who's going to question you and so when I got to the counter the guy said hello John because it tells him you know who's coming and in what order and so anyway the Nexus card and people always who have them as about 1.3 million Canadians have them I uh, always say, please don't talk about it. We don't want any money, anybody else to get a Nexus card. Um, but yeah, the measures that were announced yesterday were represented by an awful lot of people covering the story as if this was a market improvement for everybody, and it's not. And I know that one of the other spokespeople said, yeah, well, there's, um, you know, if we can speed up Nexus people, then we can speed up everybody. Yeah, Nexus people represent a very small number Everybody else is just going to have to wait in line and take off their shoes and belt. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore.
time for What's Toronto Talking About with our friend, Newstalk 1010's John Moore. Good morning, John. We start with some less than pleasant news this morning. A man wanted in a random aggravated assault downtown. This attack happened on the 22nd at Young and Elp Street, so not very far from where we are right now. And a man is apparently fighting for his life after what police say was a random attack in downtown Toronto. Uh, this is just the latest in a string of random attacks, some of them uh, quite fatal. You remember the 16-year-old who was stabbed by a person he did mm -hmm. not know in a subway station and a woman who was stabbed in a subway station as well and died. I have to imagine, and we'll talk about this in a moment, this is going to come up at the mayor's debate today because public safety is very top of mind for an awful lot of Torontonians. Yeah, that'll definitely come up as a topic, I'm sure, John. In the meantime, uh, this is being widely debated, I'm sure, as a topic on your show significantly throughout the morning. The former Governor General, uh, Special Rapporteur David Johnston, explains why he hasn't recommended a public inquiry. I think people, on the one hand, hear that, but on the other hand, say, well, let's give it a chance. Yeah, I think that's where an awful lot of people are. It's certainly where I am. I mean, I appreciate that the Governor General has taken a look at all of the facts, including top secret documents, and concluded that an inquiry would not advance anything. However, I think Canadians would like to have it anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, at 11.35 this morning, Pierre Polyev, the leader of the opposition, is going to be on the Jerry Agar show here at News Talk 1010. And of course, for him, this has just been manna from heaven in terms of politics. Yeah. Oh, that's for sure. Well, here at home, Canada Day celebrations at Nathan Phillips Square are cancelled due to resource constraints. This is something we haven't heard before. Well, the city of Toronto has some pretty major budget issues, and I almost wonder if this is a bit of a stunt, because they're cancelling Canada Day, and at the same time, they're urging Torontonians to write to their MPs to say, hey, you got to bail out Toronto. But, listen, there's going to be Canada Day festivities everywhere. It's just not in Nathan Phillips Square, and at 10 o'clock, of course, there will be the fireworks along the waterfront. Yeah, that's going to be interesting, and that perhaps may even come up at tonight's mayoral debate as well, John. Six of those leading candidates debating a vision for Scarborough. Of course, Nathan Phillips Square is not in Scarborough, but certainly Toronto's budgetary issues and situation uh, must be front and center, I'm sure, for so much of this. Tonight's debate is actually one of three, if you can believe it. There's an arts debate this morning at 10 a.m. that is expected to end at 11.30. There's another debate at George Brown, which starts at noon, so I guess everybody's going to have to hop on a Bixie bike and uh, get themselves <laughs> to George Brown. And then you're right, tonight an all-issues debate, 6.30, which I think is going to be a fairly key debate. I have a feeling people are starting to get serious about this and starting to think about who they're going to vote for, so a debate like tonight's may have some somewhat of an influence. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sure it will. And here's two more topics for you. Uh, shrinkflation and higher taxes. It seems to be getting worse here in Canada and experts warn that it could mean paying more in taxes. This is a really interesting uh, sort of loophole, I guess. I mean, first, shrinkflation is where, for example, you got a box of cookies, and normally there were 50, now there's 40, but you're still paying the same amount of money for it. However, here's where it gets interesting. If you go below certain uh, quantities, for example, ice cream, if you go below 500 milliliters of ice cream, it goes from being a food to a snack, and it becomes taxable. Oh. So not only are you not getting the same quantity for your money, but you're going to have to pay tax taxes on top of it. Hmm. All right. Yeah. So they're getting you sort of on both ends, it seems, John. All right. Well, I'm just going to have to buy more ice cream, uh, buy it in bulk, and just <laughs> yeah. sort of take the, take the hit on the taxes, <laughs> I suppose. Okay. Newstalk 1010's John Moore. He's on the air 5 to 9 on Newstalk 1010. That's Eaton DeBaby and Nick Dixon, our friends over at CP24. And incidentally, I think we're allowed to announce this. Oh, maybe I'm going to get into trouble at 901. 
But we're going to be doing a joint mayor's debate with CP24, and uh, you'll be able to listen to the audio of it here on News Talk 1010. That's coming up in the month of June. And the thinking is that's probably the last debate. And given the heft that CP24 has and that News Talk 1010 have, I would imagine that may be one of the debates that people pay a lot of attention to and maybe draw some conclusions from. This is an interesting and I think somewhat freighted mayor's race. Because first of all, it was never supposed to happen, right? I mean, Torontonians were overwhelmingly happy with John Tory and a third mandate. They gave him like 65% of the popular vote. Gil Penalosa was the runner up at 18%. So, you know, people were very comfortable with the idea of, okay, you run the city. I'm going to get back to my life. Thank you very much. And then everything blew up. John Tory exits stage left. And now we have 102 people running for mayor, you know, 92 of which I don't think we really need to pay all that much attention to with all due respect to some of the people that I actually know personally. But, you know, they're, they're not the front runners. But then you get into the fact that Olivia Chow may enjoy 25% of the vote. But you've got this whole other raft of candidates who are like 12, 13, 10. And I was talking to one of the candidates yesterday who was telling me that their internal polling is different. And also, one of the things you do when you're polling for a campaign is you ask, for example, would you consider, John Wright always talks about this, uh, our friend the pollster, would you consider voting for this candidate? And that's actually much more indicative of their prospects. Because if somebody says, you know, I'm, no, there's only 12% of the entire population that ever would even think about candidate A. Okay, so that's their ceiling. They're done. They're toast. Um, also, where do, where do some people top out? Um, I'm told that uh, Olivia Chow is popular, has name recognition, but she's at her ceiling. Now, mind you, that ceiling is twice as influential and twice as many votes as the next two people who are Josh Matlow and Mark Saunders, and that's only according to one poll. Anyway, we're getting into some fairly artisanal stuff here, but we're going to have that debate, and Jerry is going to have the leader of the opposition, Pierre Polyev, live in studio at 11.35 a.m. I don't know that he's been live in our studios before. I'll, uh, I'll ask Donnie and Jerry during the break. Because it's a different experience. It's one of the reasons why when Bonnie Crombie was declaring her intention to declare yesterday, they initially offered us her on Zoom or the phone. And I said, no, no, I want her in studio. You, you get a much better, and I mean by this, not me, but you listening, it's different. There is a different dynamic to it. And when somebody's live in studio and you're having that fairly intimate conversation because Bonnie Crombie's sitting three feet away from me, it's not the same thing as being on the phone. There's something very casual about the phone. It's 5.57. We're moments away from the 6 a.m. news with Ashley Legassi. That's The Breakfast Wrap. My name is John Moore. Thanks for listening. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.